This is the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast, episode 168. We are Joel Hollingsworth and Will Shelton. The Vols kicked off the 2020 season with a hard-fought win against South Carolina uh, last night. As we're recording, as we're recording this, uh, they won tw- 31 to 27. It was not perfect. Uh, Jared Garantano was high on several throws. The offense couldn't find a third down to uh, save its life. Defense couldn't figure out how to defend the slant route. And uh, the team nearly lost the game with a terribly mismanaged last drive on offense while they were trying to bleed the clock. Um, but, 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 it was actually really beautiful at times. There was an unreal catch from uh, Brandon Johnson, which was – I could watch that over and over again. It was just fantastic. Um, some other fleeting beauty on offense. A pretty good run game at times, I thought. Um, the, uh, the defense was pretty disruptive up front, uh, more so than I was expecting based on Jeremy Pruitt's uh, poo-pooing of the defensive line in the uh, fall camp. And above all, uh, we got a win against an SEC opponent. So that's awesome. Uh, Will has a date with the Boston Celtics at our uh, usual recording time tonight. Right. Uh, so we are recording early, uh, which kind of means we're going to wing it a little bit. I'm a little uh, more prepared usually. So we're just going to have a conversation. I got like yeah, questions, it, just some topics. Right. As, as I was saying before we went on the air, it's also my three-year-old son's birthday. Um, and the Boston Celtics have been killing me with, thankfully it's 7.30 tonight, but they've been killing me with 8.30 tip-offs, and we have a three-month-old pandemic newborn baby, so uh, I, have, I have a number of different energies moving through my body at this point in time, but the most potent, well, the most potent of which is the three-year-old birthday all day, but the second most potent being the, the 1 and 0 uh, energy, which is great. Like, all that stuff you said, I still, like, I couldn't wait to come talk to you about this game. Yeah, uh, and and I think too, we uh, the last two years we've been accustomed to two different kinds of disaster in week one, um, but before that we wrote about this first part of last week, like there was a string in there of uncomfortable week one performances. Uh, Georgia Tech in seventeen, that game was so insane. I think the insanity of the game kind of overruled the oh crap. We might be bad uh, uh, in a lot of ways that ended up to be true. Um, Appalachian State the year before was such a terrifying experience. Um, and, I, yeah, it's, it's all ancient history now. But even Bowling Green the year before when that game was a lot of fun, but, it, you know, Tennessee couldn't stop a MAC team from throwing it deep on them. Maybe it's – and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Maybe it's the we're just happy to be here-ness of – actually getting football, but I feel better about what Tennessee did against South Carolina in an imperfect win. Like my, my long-term questions are fewer than they were after Bowling Green and Appalachian state and Georgia tech and seven. So like we've played this game before and, and sometimes like 2015, you turn out to be really good. Other times the, the things you dread turn out to be true, but I, I feel like as uh uncomfortable week one wins go this was not I've I've seen worse (laughs) I've been less comfortable uh in in week one is that is this just like pandemic happy hour and we're just glad to to be here or what do you think I I think it's a variety of things I think part of it is yay football Mm -hmm. Um, I think also 
um, that to me, the team actually looked better than South Carolina. They looked better than they played, better than the score. Um, just on sort of a per play kind of basis, um, if you remove the hiccups, if you remove the, the slant play, I mean, what, what, what's that game look like if, if they don't catch a slant once instead, or if they catch a slant just once instead of five times or four times or whatever it was, every time they caught that thing, man, it ran for like 40 yards. Um, not sure what was going on there. Maybe, uh, Sham, uh, Sean Schamberger. Uh, being out. I don't know what the story, do you, do you know what the story on him was? Did, did he get caught up in contact tracing or something? But his, uh, his backup was, uh, I think, Nico Slaughter, who was getting burned in that spot uh, pretty good. Although he, he also had some uh, really nice moments as well. Yeah, Danico Slaughter had uh, 100% freshman first game, like yep. highly rated freshman first game. Like West did some Virginia. awesome things. Yeah. Did some awesome things, did some – they went at him, you know, and did some less awesome things. I don't have any inside information, but, I mean, the context clues on Schemberger point to, to contact tracing, right, that there's – based on the Knox County protocol, I'm not even sure he's going to play against Missouri. If he was a late, late positive or someone, his roommate, whatever, whoever was late positive, then that could carry over and you're going to miss uh, two games. Uh, and I think that that's – you know, they made the move to put Bryce Thompson at safety in a lot of those looks and just go to the next man up who happened to be Danico Slaughter, who's a true freshman. And later, I didn't see Slaughter as much. I, th I think Jalen McCullough is a little banged up at safety. And later on, they got him involved maybe more than they would have wanted to if, if things were smooth sailing. But um, that was less effective later uh, in the game. So, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, Tennessee, uh, I was – Looking up, Tennessee was just over six yards a play. South Carolina ends at 5.12 yards per play. Bill Connolly had it at 76% win expectancy. You play that game 100 times with those numbers, Tennessee wins 76%. So <clears throat> something that happened to Tennessee a lot in the winning streak, a lot of things that happened in Tennessee in the winning streak last year, fell behind uh, on the first drive still came back and found a way and got a final score that was probably a little closer uh, than it, it should have been. I just think for me, and I've written about this twice already, one for 11 on third down, uh, weird by itself, like by itself, that's weird. To win on one for 11 on third down, there, I, there's no comparison to that. That's such a strange thing. And you know, the simple version is, hey, Tennessee really was not in third and long much at all, a couple times late, but especially in the first half, they were never in anything longer than third and six, and they just didn't execute. They threw it a lot. Uh, even on third and two, they threw it a lot, which surprised me, and maybe Jim Chaney thought that would surprise South Carolina. No Juwan Jennings uh, on third down, and that showed up early and, and often. But uh, of, of the few things I'm sure of, I'm sure Tennessee's not going to go one for 11 on third down again the, the, the rest of this year so if you clean that up yeah play to play I thought Tennessee was was better than South Carolina and I, I mean that's what we expected right going in so yep. that um oh you just clean that up just a little bit and you're extending drives and, and putting more points on the board and this thing is not nearly as as dangerous and that makes me feel a lot better than we might not stop you know, the, the deep ball, or we might not stop uh, the run game, or we, you know, these kind of bigger picture questions that are out there. 
if you get your guys back and don't and don't lose other guys, which is going to be a theme every week to contact tracing, then I think a lot of the defensive stuff that we saw uh, will will take care of itself. I think anyway. Yeah, it, it just seemed like at times you got a glimpse of what the offense can look like because there were a couple of drives that were just poetry, you know, a running up for eight yards on first down ahead of the chains. And then a couple of nice passes, just rhythm and, and tempo. And, um, you know, there were just, there were just some hiccups along the way too. And, and, and that kind of leads me to the third factor that was playing into why we feel pretty good today. And that is that uh, it was the first game and there were several teams that had uh, much more difficult struggles than we do than we did. Uh, Oklahoma got beat. That was their second game though, wasn't it? Um, I think. Um, and uh, LSU. Maybe first, first game against FBS, maybe. Okay. Um, LSU, they got beat. No. <laughs> right. We, uh, we, we've been thinking, uh, you know, ever since we wrote the magazine based on what we thought was going to happen back in April, that LSU may, be, uh, may, may have some trouble. And, you know, then, then the pandemic and the opt-outs came and people still refuse to believe it, but uh, they, they, they got some problems. And Mike Leach came too. Like, let's, let's give them proper credit for that. It's such a weird, um, and this, I want to talk about the win total machine. This is a weird year too, because, you know, there's 14 teams in the SEC, you play 10 of them and, and you are one of them. Yeah. So there's only three teams in the league that Tennessee is not going to play. And two of them played each other. LSU and Mississippi state played each other. So a lot of times, for me anyway, when I start thinking about how this is going to affect the win totals, well, I feel worse about Auburn, but better about Kentucky because they played each other. And I feel, you know, much better about Texas A&M, but a little worse about Vanderbilt because they played each other. And there's going to be – those jumps will not be as big. But, um, yeah, like, the, you know, that's a game that Tennessee – we had no stake in that LSU-Mississippi State game whatsoever. Yeah. So, that was – I enjoyed – I, I watched uh, uh, Chris Penley, former Rocket Top Talk writer, and I were talking. Uh, who, if you know him, you know he really enjoyed that that Mike Leach game. Uh, yeah. But I stayed with Georgia and Arkansas way too long. Me too. Because that well, that game has merit for Tennessee, right? But uh, not nearly as beautiful to watch. But yeah, I mean, you know, deep into the third quarter in that game, you kind of have to be like all right, let's throw everything out, uh, especially in week one, because Georgia's got problems. And in this new fun pandemic world, now Georgia's got Auburn Saturday. <laughs> yeah, so like that line, Georgia's got problems and now they got Auburn. Now they got Auburn and then they get us. So uh, I hope they don't figure it out uh, yep. in, in two weeks. So, so I, yeah, I, it's, I, it's, there's a nice healthy version of this podcast where we're like, look, can you really be upset that Tennessee lost 34 to 31 based on all these factors? Yeah, that's, that's true. I, if I'm a South Carolina fan, I don't know how upset I am. I know you're asking Muschamp to go for it. It was fourth and 12 though. Like you're asking Muschamp to go for it instead of kick that field goal, but he was supposed to get the ball back. Like it would have worked if they recover that punt. So um, I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad to not have to feel those feelings and just be on the one and O side of this conversation. So uh, about Georgia, I, uh, I kind of checked out, uh, I can't really remember exactly when, but it was before they really took the lid off that because I was surprised. It was like at one point, uh, 
I was catching up through, uh, through DVR, trying to catch up to real time. So um, when I caught up to real time, it was some point in the third quarter and it looked like they basically had it in hand. But then I went downstairs to talk to my dad and they had already scored another touchdown. I think that might've been a pick six or something. Um, so at the, at the point that I checked out, I was thinking, okay, Georgia's got real problems on offense. Like, I, you know, kind of, it didn't surprise me, you know, um, especially first week, uh, new offense, new quarterback. Um, and, and let me say this too. I don't remember the announcers ever really talking about the real problem with Georgia and that's the offensive line. Um, that that's why they couldn't, couldn't score. I think, um, they were talking about the new quarterback. Um, they were talking about, you know, a variety of factors, but I, I, I really think that they're going to miss that offensive line. And I think they're going to miss it uh, all year long. But anyway, the reason I, I wanted to go back there was based on what happened after I checked out, depending on how long you checked, it was before you checked out, did they get it figured out or did, you know, what, what happened? Because the end, the final score doesn't look like they had any problems at all. Yeah, the, the third quarter blitz, uh, when it was, I'm looking at the play-by-play -play now, when it was 10 to 5, such weird scores yesterday. Arkansas was ahead 10 to 5 in, seven in the third five. quarter. Yeah. And Georgia, uh, George Pickens is a monster. He's, he's a great player. He's not going to beat Tennessee or you know, Alabama or Auburn by himself. But he got them going, and they got a nice little drive, and they finally got it in the end zone. And then after that, yeah, it was back-to-back turnovers where they had they had a turnover and they only needed 24 yards to score and they scored and then they had a pick six on the next thing so it went from uh georgia took the lead with six minutes to go in the third quarter and with three minutes to go in the third quarter they were up 17 so yeah two two interceptions uh is is what got them there and i thought uh, you know the the stetson bennett kid played okay statistically um I think Mathis was so bad and so bad on the eye test too. Like he just looked bad um, that I think that colored a, a lot of that stuff. So um, again, you guys have to figure it out. Like now uh, there's no time uh, ex unless you're Tennessee maybe and you get Missouri in week two, uh, you know, but that was supposed to be the gift for Georgia is they got Arkansas in week one. So um that that's one of those to me if JT Daniels whatever is happening there for whatever reason he's not playing if he doesn't play against Auburn I mean you, you're just going to find out a lot of things right away because uh, I'm not sure I thought the the Bennett kid was was fine once he got in there against Arkansas but Auburn will eat that up um, and Tennessee would have the opportunity to eat that up it's just a a question of if you're in those games, Georgia's defense is still very good. So um, I'm sure there's going to be a game like that if they don't get good quarterback play where Georgia still wins because the defense forced three turnovers and, and kept teams out of the end zone and that sort of thing. So you, you hope that's not the week that that happens to you. But man, Tennessee, such a great trap game place on the schedule for Georgia here, cushioned nicely between uh, Auburn next week and, and Alabama in three weeks. Yeah. So uh, just so we don't end up spending uh, the entire podcast talking about other teams, let's go back to Tennessee real quick. <laughs> right. Um, so what I, I started off uh, by talking about the, the negatives 
the negative things that happen and then uh, and then mention the uh, positive. But what 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 were you most concerned about seeing? What, what was the negative thing that bothered you most uh, yesterday? Uh, the third down thing is still just more weird and strange than anything else. If it turns into a pattern, and we saw this with red zone stuff last year where it started off kind of an annoyance and then it turns out, oh no, this team is bad at scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Last night, fine, three trips, two touchdowns and a field goal, you know, that you want to get the other one in there, sure, but two out of three is, is lots of improvement. Um, I thought that they, they wasted so much good field position, uh, yesterday. And I just don't know it, how much are we putting on Cheney for not you know, third and two, not running the ball, not doing all these things. Some of it again, and, and Pruitt, I thought handled this fairly in a straightforward way in the post game is that Garantano is throwing to Josh Palmer, but then he's really throwing to guys that he's not thrown to before with not much practice to, to develop all that, you know, rhythm and repetition. I know that Brandon Johnson was a leading receiver in Butch Jones last year, but still that's a long time ago. Uh, and so I, I think just you want to see more rhythm uh, in the passing game. And I just say all that assuming they're going to get the defense, the, the slant route stuff fixed once they get healthy or, or they get another week to get folks in there. So Again, I thought it was – I thought Tennessee played a solid game. I thought they were clean. Uh, I, I'm excited about a number of young kids like Tyler Barron that get in there and can make a huge play and then not have to play every down, which has been the case in the past. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I don't – we need more data. I know that's what we say uh, after week one, but – there was nothing overly surprising to me. I, I think they did a good job for the most part, getting in what they wanted to get in. They just didn't execute it at all on third down. Um, but the, again, the fact that they were never really in third and long, that's huge progress that, that Tennessee's getting what it wants a lot of times on first and second down. I think that's how you get a win expectancy of over you know 76% when you did fail on, on 10 of your 11 third downs. Uh, so I don't have again. Am I maybe I'm being too rosy or I'm full of sugar or whatever? But uh, I don't have a glaring uh oh uh, coming out of this game. If Missouri throws the slant on us all day, uh, then I will. But I, I just I don't really have one. Do you do you have kind of a long term oh no? Well, I, I was I, I expected us to score about that many points. Um, I didn't expect South Carolina to score as much as they did. So I guess my disappointment is primarily with the defense. And it's primarily just, again, it's that one play. I, I wish I could figure out how many was attributed to that one play, or at least to my eyes, it looked like it was the same play every time. And, and I did go back and look a little bit today to see, okay, if you got to move um, Bryce Thompson from corner to, to safety, did we spend a lot of time in zone and does that open up that play for some reason? And then we didn't have an answer, but it really wasn't zone. It was, uh, it was usually the two plays I, I went back and looked at again, it was just slaughter getting beat on the inside. And they worked, they got, and as Stinchcomb talked about this uh, on the broadcast, you know, if you get in personnel where you've got toe toe and then another quote unquote middle linebacker out there, that's Jeremy Banks, who was off the team for a long time, or it's Quaverius Crouch, who 
was a running back at points last year and, and other things like that. So you just got guys that are not used to being in that spot. Uh, and, and Bobo for all his flaws at Georgia or wherever, he's not an idiot. I mean, that was just simple stuff. Get the matchups you want and then execute it. And he, and, and I think that's part of why Hill was their quarterback and not Helensky is that they trusted him to take advantage of those things. And for the most part, he really did. Uh, the, the interception was a good job getting pressure uh, by DeAndre Johnson, a very quiet two and a half, maybe not quiet, but he had two and a half sacks. Uh, you know, I don't think we had, may, have, may not have been in the guessing game this week, but I don't think we had DeAndre Johnson on the leaderboard for who will come out of the first game with two and a half sacks. No. Um, but that wasn't overly his fault. It was a bobbled ball that went to Toe Toe. Big drops uh, for Carolina a couple times in the second half. So I, if I'm a South Carolina fan, I feel all right about what I got at quarterback. You need more weapons. You need more options uh, that are going to be reliable for you. So, um, yeah, I, I, again, we need more data uh, is, is the answer on all this. But uh, I, I thought he played pretty well and, and did a good job taking advantage of what Bobo and those guys set him up to take advantage of. Yeah. I just I, – I still th- – um... I was just expecting a little bit more from the, from the defense, but uh, you know, first game, maybe, maybe that's just all that explains it all. Although I will say at one point I was wondering why they were, they seemed to be bunched in really tight. Like the, the inside linebackers were playing really close together and the, the South Carolina kept running around the edge and it seemed like, well, you just need to move the ends out just a little bit, you know? Uh, but I don't know. We'll uh, we're going to find out. It just, I think we got the, you know, the right guys pulling the triggers and calling the plays back there. We'll find out. The other disappointing thing was this last, uh, this last drive where we're trying to run out the clock. And uh, I mean, it, it was terrible. I, I'm looking at the, the play-by-play. So we, we had it um, at the, uh, you know, the, the 25 and we run off a play for eight yards on first down, which is like, okay, well, all we need is like, two more yards and we got this thing iced, right? Um, so we uh, get a 20 yard gain. And that tells me that I had my math wrong, right? So, cause we actually still need some, so another first down, but then the, the circus starts. So we got first and 10 at the 47. And the first thing we do is false start. And then we got, we run for a loss of three. We got a incomplete pass, which you know, don't, don't really understand that. I guess we were just trying to go ahead and, and win and get the first down, but then we got a loss of a, uh, another yard. Then we got another false start. And then we're, you know, it's all of a sudden it's third and 27. It's like, well, you know, going to have to punt this thing. Right. So good thing that we, uh, we, we punted the way we did. And that was really fortuitous. Um, I, 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 I wasn't super scared at that point. I was thinking, okay, our defense actually can probably hold them. Um, but man, we were only up by three and, uh, if, if they get the ball and, and start chunking yards, that could have been a much different kind of story. So I thought the running, um, it, to my knowledge, when they started that drive, they went under center other than the Garantano sneak for a touchdown. That's the first time they went under center the whole game, I think. And then when they got eight yards, and then they went like a power eye look on that second down play where they got 20 yards. Yep. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. 
because two years ago, Tennessee couldn't get, you know, two yards with their – no matter what formation they lined it up in yeah. on third and short. And here they're ripping off – I mean, you and I could have run together in tandem through that hole on, on second down. So, I thought at that point, this thing is done and over. And then, yeah, the, the false start killed – it happened to South Carolina on that drive where they had to settle for the field goal, where they chose to settle for the field goal. They had first and 10 of the 26 and got a false start to make first and 15 of the 31. And that, you know, that hurts. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I'd have to go back and watch that last, that sequence after the 20 yard gain. I'd have to watch it again after the false start. I'm sure a lot of it is Carolina just knowing we're gambling up. These guys are not going to do anything exciting. I think they, they tried to go to Valus Jones uh, out on a, on that little pop pass or something in one of those plays, and that just didn't, it did not work. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, even in first and 15 and that setup, maybe next time you just stay heavy, go right at him again and, and go from there. But uh, I, I'm curious to see if that happens again, if they're going to be a shotgun team a pistol team all night until it's third and one, but then they've got that in the bag too. They can, they can line up in that heavy set and just go after it. Yeah. All right. Enough with the negatives. Uh, what, what was your favorite, uh, favorite thing that you saw? Uh, I, I mean, football in general was, <laughs> that was great. Um, it's nice to see. The big question is no Daryl Taylor. Are you going to get to the quarterback? And they think they got four, right? They got four on Hill, uh, none of which I particularly thought, again, maybe I'm thinking about this differently if I'm a South Carolina fan, but I didn't think any of it was because he held on to the ball super long uh, or anything like that. And they got, again, they got it from DeAndre Johnson. I thought Kevon Bennett had a great jump uh, all night coming out there. Danico Slaughter got one, uh, Blitzen from, from Nickel. And so, just to regularly see Tennessee get into the backfield and get pressure on the quarterback without Daryl Taylor. I thought that was a really good sign. You're not going to get them all down. You're going to play better quarterbacks than, than Hill the rest of the way, uh, a lot of weeks, but I thought that was encouraging. I think the rest of the stuff, you know, JG was JG. Uh, I wrote today. I, I think that's probably, you can have a whole separate Garantano conversation if you want, but I, I think that's, that's probably the third best game he's played as a starter I know that's not a, a huge star-studded list, but I thought he was he was solid. He was a clean version of Garantano that we know and love. Ty Chandler looked like Ty Chandler. Josh Palmer looked like Josh Palmer. Um, Toho Toho looked like the the leveled up Toho Toho that we hoped he would be. Um, so I, I thought, in large part, they they did they did a lot of the things that looked like slightly improved versions of themselves, cleaner versions of themselves. Again, I just think it's much, if, if you're even half decent on third down, I think it's a much different conversation. But yeah, I, I would say getting pressure with guys that are not Daryl Taylor, uh, I thought that was encouraging. Uh, DeAndre Johnson maybe doesn't have a sack the rest of the year. I don't know. But I, I, th I thought that was, that was a good start uh, for, for a big kind of big picture question mark for the defense to me. Yeah, we talked in uh, last week's podcast about uh, Pruitt basically not feeling very good about the defensive line. We're wondering, well, is it because they're going up against our, our offensive line? We hope, you know, or is there something to it? Is it maybe the absence of Tracy Rocker? 
you know, they couldn't have gotten worse, right? That's what we're thinking. And so, yeah, it was really good to see those guys have some impact on the game. And it was weird too, because it's like, it's, it does kind of seem like different guys, right? Um, so it, it's like Tyler Barron, like where in the world did that dude come from? I know he's super highly recruited guy, but I don't remember hearing his name in, in fall camp much, but he was, he was a, the havoc wreaker that dude um love seeing him love seeing deandre johnson uh elijah simmons is a big guy i like <laughs> i like that guy <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i don't know if you heard uh pruitt's you know apparently he, he came to campus at 370 and he's he's lost weight so he's all the way down to 343 night right <laughs> Pruitt said something. So he's lost almost 10% of his weight, not quite, not quite 10% of his body fat or his, his total weight. <laughs> yeah, Pruitt says, yeah, I usually see him in the lunch line because he and I have the two biggest plates. And apparently the dude's a good singer, too. He says, I, I, you know, we, knew, we, we need some proof of that. <laughs> Pruitt, actual, his actual quote was, he's maybe the best singer in Tennessee. And I don't know whether Pruitt forgot Nashville's in Tennessee, but, you know, I want to I want to hear some proof. Maybe he's the best singer in Tennessee during the pandemic uh, when those places are closed. Um, <laughs> Tyler Barron, again, let, let me go back and say, and, and he's that's a local kid, you know, good, good for him. Good start. Uh, all that stuff. They have him listed as a linebacker. He's six five. Like he, he looks like he could play four minutes a night for Rick Barnes and get two rebounds and four fouls down there banging with somebody. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to play him, you know, more as kind of an, an end uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah. He's a huge, he does not look like a freshman because that's one of the things about the first game is, you know, you get new Jersey numbers come flying through there. And when number nine came flying through there with a tackle for a loss, I was like, all right, I know that is not Derek Barnett, but who right. is that? Who is that? Right. Uh, and again, it's, that first depth chart, and this is really interesting, I think, too, from an offensive and defensive perspective. They put out the depth chart, which is obviously meaningless. But I think what we assumed, or at least what I assumed, is they were lying most on the offensive side of the ball. That Jalen Hyatt and the all, you know, D. Beckwith is hurt, but some of these other freshman, you know, skill position players, these guys were going to be the ones that get in the mix and do all these things and have these opportunities right away. Because we've got the, the Butch Jones taint on Brandon Johnson and it, it, probably not Josh Palmer at this point, but, you know, a lot of these other guys. And it's easy to be excited about freshmen. But as it turns out, they weren't lying at all on offense. They really played Brandon Johnson and Ramel Keaton and Valus Jones, who's a senior. You know, they, they played these upperclassmen almost exclusively on offense, but on defense – yeah, I mean, Barron played a lot. Slaughter played a, a bunch. Yeah. They did get the freshman involved on defense. So, so yeah, that's what I – in years past, Tyler Barron would have been a day one starter that you have to have him come through and, and be a world beater for you right away if you're going to compete in this league. And now this year, he just gets to be one of these guys. Like, when I think back to the quote-unquote good old days, like Will Overstreet was one of these guys where when Overstreet was a freshman and maybe even a sophomore – he would come in and make a play and he would be like, who is that guy? And you, you didn't need him because you had Sean Ellis and, and, you know, a bunch of these other guys that were playing in front of him, but they could flash like that. And so um, 
I bet Tyler Barron gets an or on the depth chart this week. You know, like I bet I bet they pencil him in there somewhere because that was uh, that was exciting stuff. Uh, and part of that group of guys that's getting back there behind the line. Yeah, it's just funny, you know. And Simmons, I mean, these are big guys, right? They're they're all big guys, right? But when you see them all together, you can't really tell how big they are. But when you look at Simmons, you think that is a big dude because he looks like twice as big as everybody else that's out there. I mean, he, he looked like a, uh, like they were kind of using him as, as a sort of Terrence Cody nose guard, you know, let's just put a boulder in the middle of the defense and he doesn't have to move anywhere. <laughs> you know, just if, if, if he moves, that's a bonus, right? Um, anyway, so a um, couple of other things. Uh, Brandon Johnson's, we, are, we talked about that. That was a phenomenal catch. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that? I, I was shocked that he caught it because you're, you're like, the guy is, he's actually a shadow of, the, of his defender, right? You can't see him from the, <laughs> the TV screen. And all of a sudden, that arm shoots out from behind the other guy and again catches the ball. That was awesome. I love that one. Well, and you're, you know, Again, saying he was the leading receiver for Tennessee three years ago, that offense was so bad. That's not worth much. Like, I, I just looked that up. He had – to be the leading receiver <clears throat> for Tennessee in 2017, that meant 37 catches for 482 yards, which is – that's three catches for 40 yards a game. That's not a leading receiver, right? That's that's an also-ran. So, um, you know, Garantano, he, not yesterday other than that throw, but he has a history of being great on third down. And so when he let it go, my thought was, and, and will continue to be for a while, if it's not going to Palmer, I would just wonder who he's throwing that to. Who does he trust? Um, but that, that's not the play that they asked Brandon Johnson to make in the Larry Scott offense. I don't know what they were asking him to, what kind of plays they were asking him to make anyway. But it wasn't that one. Uh, and and he – Running backs who caught the balls. Yeah, yeah, tied for the lead in catches in 17 was John Kelly running back. So, yeah, not not a – again, not a great time there. But, um, I mean, it was a good job by Garantano not – not that ball wasn't going to be intercepted the, the way he threw it. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a great play. They were great sideline. The slow motion uh, reaction of Tennessee sideline that he caught that ball uh, was really great. And – I mean, that was just a – there was a big sequence there early where when you when you give up a touchdown on the opening drive and then you 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 skip that punt snap like it's a rock on the water uh, trying to get it back there to, to Paxton Brooks. And, you know, immediately everybody's thinking, oh, no, like we're – this is going to be bad for us. Alonzo Taylor made a huge play on a, on a tackle for a loss right after that to get him off the field. And then to get Tennessee going uh, downfield, that was a huge play. Uh, so – I'm curious to see, are, are we, these freshmen are supposed to be so talented and all that stuff. Garantano needs people he can trust because Tennessee at full strength should still be better at, at getting in third and short, same as they were yesterday. So we don't need Marquez Callaway out there to make a, a deep sideline catch on third and long as much as we need guys that can, that can be trustworthy. I thought he threw at Ramel Keaton a lot early and he didn't hit him a lot really but he threw his way early it made me wonder okay is Ramel Keaton going to be a guy that, that he really steps up and trusts but to do that you got to complete those passes so uh yeah Brandon Johnson is a nice um you know if he gets to start again against Missouri you're not going to be like why is he out there you know that that sort of thing he really earned that opportunity uh and I'll be 
just that quarterback receiver timing. You need those reps. And no matter how talented those freshmen may be, uh, those guys just may not be ready for, for that kind of consistency yet. You're right. I think it did seem like uh, Keaton may have had more targets than anybody else. Just didn't connect on as many. And that's just going from my memory, which is suspect. But that's what it seemed like to me. Um, and then you mentioned uh, Alante Taylor. That dude was active. Um, we uh, I posted in the roundup this morning that play where he he just blew up a, a blocker just like he wasn't there and then made the tackle five, seven yards <clears throat> behind the line. That was awesome. I think the dude needs to – somebody needs to get him, though, and tell him to stop, like, hunching over his, his uh, prey because he's, he's, he's a P.I. waiting to happen, that dude. They're, they're, yeah. Uh, him, him and Jeremy Banks need a, a, a counseling session on not, not enticing, you know, personal fouls uh, and, and that sort of thing. So, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, don't, I, I thought Banks did okay that, you know, he had one sort of over-aggressive hit out of bounds. Uh, the other thing where he pulled the helmet off, maybe, you know, I guess. But it's Taylor, you know, because Taylor makes a good play and then he just, you know, he poses. And uh, I, you don't usually see people get uh, flagged for that, but I can imagine these mornings and then towing the line. But, you know, you love that aggression, especially from that cornerback uh, spot, man. And he, he's playing well. So he, he's, he's deserving of some nice pats on the helmet. Uh, I just hope that the uh, he uh, learns to accept it from his uh, friends instead of himself. <laughs> I, I would be curious to know, I mean – did you think, I thought it sounded right last night. I know they were at 17,000 people, I think there, and, and a, a good number of Tennessee fans in that crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought it sounded right to me watching the game. I have no idea if ESPN dropped a little something extra in there or, or not, but it sounded right to me. I'd be curious on the field if it's going to be a situation where, you know, the refs can hear that stuff more and the players maybe can hear each other more because I didn't notice it in a lot of the other games, but, uh, and, and they talked about it throughout the broadcast. Um, those two teams didn't appear to like each other very much last night. Uh, and there was, it was indeed very chippy throughout. So I wonder if that's a, if that's a factor too. Did it sound right to, to you watching the game? Did, did, how did you notice any of the crowd stuff? The thing that I noticed most was when they did that cheer where I think they're just echoing colors back and forth or something. Oh yeah. Game Cox. Yeah. That thing. Okay. Yeah. So that sounded piped into me because it seemed like it was too loud for that kind of a crowd because it was super loud. And, and they also seemed to have um, abruptness to it that um, wasn't natural. For instance, when Tennessee had the ball, um, they would have like cheers going on. So there was something to me that I thought was a little bit unnatural, but I am all for that because that's better than the natural unnatural of no noise. So yeah, go ahead and pipe it in. Um, I like it a lot better, but yeah, I think I noticed it. I'll be, I'll be curious to see. I'm, I'm going, uh, Alabama is the first game that I'm going to, uh, for Tennessee this year. So I'll be curious to see it when I get there, but, um, <laughs> I've been to Carolina plenty of times and they, we used to joke about them in Kentucky doing this thing where the PA announcer like overly celebrates first downs. Um, the guy at Kentucky is the, that's another first down Kentucky and all that people go wild. And back when we were awesome in the nineties, my friends and I would be like, this, that's right. This is the kind of place where a first down is a celebration. 
Um, and South Carolina had something similar, except they're, you know, trying to come up in the ranks in the SEC with all these programs. So they just have – there is – there is I think their on-field entrance when they have it and they have a full house with the, the 2001, the Ric Flair music, I think that's awesome. I think they do that really well. I really enjoy that. But the rest of it is so – so much of their stuff – Apologies to any South Carolina fans that are listening to this, but so much of their stuff is a guy hitting a button, right? Sandstorm, hit the hit the gamecock crowing at unnecessarily loud levels. Celebrate first down. So they're they're a bit of a. It sounds like I'm like I know some South Carolina fans that I really dislike. I really don't. I don't have any like annoying South Carolina fans in my life. But that's a that's a kind of pre-produced crowd uh, in a lot of ways, and so I wonder if some of that came through. Last night. In ways that, that Tennessee, back when we were doing third down for what, maybe, but um, otherwise, Tennessee's stuff is much more organic, or it's the band, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So I wonder, uh, I'd, yeah, be curious to see on TV next week and, and in person later this year if how Tennessee chooses to, to change any of those things up. Yeah, the uh, the rooster crowing or the the uh, gamecock, I guess crowing. It, it just it's like, hey, time to time to get out of bed now. Time to go milk the cows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's I I like uh, the story. I always tell is my dad and I went there in ninety four or ninety six because they beat us to their credit the first time we played them when they were in the SEC in ninety two. It's a game that got Johnny Majors fired. Um, but then we went in 94 or 96 as a Peyton Manning year. And these guys came up to us and said, thank you so much for letting us in the SEC. <laughs> we were being like, you're welcome. Like, we're so glad you're here. Uh, and and uh, that was an odd – and I get it. I mean, they, you know, they've won the East once in however many years. But being in the SEC has been a very good thing for the University of South Carolina. So I get it. Uh, it was just an odd – and, and it goes to show, like, to me, <clears throat> even though they beat us the first time, like, they were an endearing – it's a short trip. You get in the car, you drive four hours, you beat them, you come home, all that stuff. But then they got Spurrier, and, and you turn into your – it's just what happens. You turn into a reflection of your coach. And so uh, they have been less endearing to me. And now Muschamp. Uh, so, so less endearing uh, in, in the last few years. All right. Um, did you hear uh, Pruitt's – opening comments in the uh the presser afterwards i i read them i didn't i didn't hear them but i did i did read it and it's i mean it sounded again that dude doesn't have a lot of uh non-straightforwardness <laughs> so uh it's it, did you listen was it was it an emotional sounding thing well as emotional as he gets yeah i mean it was better than reading it but it was still you know pruitt um but yeah it was it, it was genuine. It was legitimate. It was heartfelt. It, it was just really well done, you know? Um, and, and the fact that he extended it, if for anybody who's not heard it, you can go see it uh, on our site. We've linked to it under the uh, news from around the web thing. Um, but basically the, the gist is just really proud of the kids for showing up and weathering the uncertainty and uh, getting ready to play. And we're so happy that everybody can play. And the coolest thing was that he extended it, not just to his guys, but to South Carolina players, 
and uh, basically everybody who has gone to the effort of uh, trying to make football happen this fall. Um, just really, really good. Um, I'd love to hear that. And uh, let's see, there was something else he mentioned in there that eh, I lost my train of thought, but Pruitt has done a lot of that this summer, both on uh, that front and the, the social injustice front. Um, oh, I, what I was going to say is that one of my other favorite things to watch from last night was him after the game, walking around looking for South Carolina players to fist bump and hug and stuff. Um, the guy just loves college football players and it doesn't matter if they're on the other team or not. You know, I mean, he'll, he'll beat you um, while the, while the clock is running. Um, but you can tell it's just a game to him that it's more about relationships and um, he just seems like a really genuine guy and uh, really easy for me to root for him because of that. I think there's, again, I don't know any of these guys personally, so what do I know? But I, I think there is, um, these dudes recognize good football coaches somewhere else. And I include Muschamp in that. So, like, I'm not even saying necessarily a great head coach. We don't know what Pruitt will be yet. Muschamp, mixed results, um, depending on who you ask. But Muschamp was a great defensive coordinator like a great football coach on that level. And I think there's a respect that comes with that, that, that Pruitt already has because of what he did at Alabama uh, and, and Georgia and Florida State, that uh, I think that helps. Maybe this is – we've been doing this podcast for a thousand years and we've seen so many coaching changes. We always talk about putting too much emphasis on the way that the new guy is totally different than the last guy. Yeah. But Butch Jones um, wasn't in didn't, – didn't seem to be in that same circle – uh, where, you know, here in this game, you've got Pruitt and Bobo and Muschamp and, and Tracy Rocker, you know, all these guys that have kind of worked together, been together other places. And Butch Jones is just much more of an outsider, not just him, but his whole staff. I wonder if that's why, again, I, I don't know these people, but like he and Kevin Sumlin were reportedly really good friends. I always wondered about that. There's two mid-major outsider guys uh, in a league that's full, there's a ton of insiders in this league. Uh, most of the best teams are typically coached by insiders. So, um, yeah, I, I think that – that's what I would hope anyway, is that, you know, good word from Pruitt, especially given how straightforward he is. And all these kids know all these coaches from recruiting in some sense, I'm sure. Um, so a, a good word from Pruitt, I hope, carries some weight. It's, it should for them. I feel bad for them because they got to go to Florida on Saturday. Um, and we made it however many minutes in this thing without talking about – how great it is to not have to play those guys in week three uh, and, and be figuring out how we're going to stop that. Cause uh, that was, that was nasty. Uh, Trask, uh, you know, Mississippi state that's, that was enjoyable. It means nothing for Tennessee this year. Uh, what Leach does down there. Cause we don't play them. Uh, but uh, whew, I'm, I'm very happy to be seeing those guys in December and not two weeks from now. Uh, so Good yeah. luck, uh, South Carolina, with that next week. Yeah, for anybody who didn't see a Trask through, what, six touchdowns, I think, uh, all seven of them to, uh, to, uh, the, to Pitts. The dude is awesome. Um, yeah, Ole, Ole Miss, you know, not renowned for, for defense out the gate here. And, and Kiffin was Kiffin. They were fun. They took shots. I mean, that's the hard part about that game is trying to figure out do you really just throw it deep on these guys every time? Do you try to just outscore them? 
I know that's the way football is going in a lot of ways, but man, so many Tennessee teams have fallen into that trap against so many Florida teams in the past. I will point out for uh, the rest of us uh, optimists that uh, they were playing Ole Miss and uh, Ole Miss's defense is uh, not very good or wasn't last year. And you would think that they wouldn't be able to improve very much in one game in a shortened off season, but we'll see. Not that Florida is not bad. I think Florida is the best team in the SEC East. I thought that even back in April. Um, and uh, the thing is, it looks after after week one in the SEC, all SEC schedule, it looks like Florida's got some distance between them and Georgia too. So, all right. Uh, so let's see. Um, basically, the Vols now, they apparently have either the longest or the second longest Power 5 winning streak. Uh, some sites are saying uh, that they have the longest one after LSU lost. It's a seven-game streak. Um, the official UT, UT Sports site said it was second longest. I don't know what it is, but you know what? It's awesome. So that's cool. Are you looking? Are you fact-checking that while we? It's run? Notre Dame is eight, and so are we? <laughs> is Notre Dame in the ACC or not? That's the question. Okay. So. Yeah, in, in, a, in a normal year, Tennessee would have the longest, but no, Notre Dame is one game ahead. Yeah, we, I put this on the side today. Hey, man, uh, don't take this for granted. Ten, only 10 seven-plus game winning streaks, uh, whether it's one year to the next or, or in the same – it's only happened three times in the same season in 35 years. Um, so don't take a seven-game winning streak for granted, uh, especially given Tennessee's struggles to beat South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt recently. So – if they take care of business against Missouri, uh, where Tennessee's between 10 and a half and 13 on the opening line there with Missouri, um, that would be, there's only eight, eight game winning streaks in the last 35 years for Tennessee. So, uh, you know, this is all, if we beat Georgia in two weeks, we'll have bigger stories than a nine game winning streak. But, um, you know, it's kind of like last year when you cover the spread, whatever that was, five, six games in a row, that was very rare uh, and, and awesome. So, uh, these guys deserve a tip of the cap for when you beat anybody in college football, you win seven in a row and you play in the SEC. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so bottom line, uh, the team could have played better. They still won. And, the, and at times they actually looked really good. So um, the thing is, uh, despite uh, some of the problems that, that they've had, we're saying this after a win instead of after a loss, which you know, sometimes we say the same things, but um, it's nice to say it after win. We are 1-0. and um, So let's uh, turn our attention to what's next. Now, we're recording Sunday afternoon, so we're still sort of in the throes of celebration for the game that was yesterday. And I don't know about you, but I haven't had that much chance to look at Missouri. I didn't watch anything except the uh, key plays function on YouTube TV, which, by the way, um, do you have, how do you watch games? Do you watch just with cable or do you got a streaming service? I'm, I'm an old person that I feel like my son is not too long from saying, why do you still pull up the channel guide and scroll down through the channels to find games? Like I'm, I'm 38, I'll be 39 in a couple of weeks, but like, I'm such an old person. So yeah, I, I watch, uh, uh, I used to do, you know, one on the TV and one on the laptop, but now with kids, I just do, uh, <laughs> 
I, I take two of the three windows on Saturday and I get those and I give my children and my wife the other window and, and uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm just flicking back and forth between a couple games. Is it good, the, uh, the YouTube TV? YouTube TV is awesome. Now, I haven't tried Hulu Live um, or Fubo, um, but YouTube TV has this. First of all, you can, you can basically say, okay, find me uh, all NCAA college football games, and you hit one button. And it records all of them for the entire season, right? So there, there's no, it's cloud DVR. And it's probably not even a DVR, you know. I mean, they, they record it once and stick it on their server and then, you know, serve it to a bunch of people. But um, the interface is awesome, too. And one of the coolest things is when you, when you pull up a game, the option is um, start from beginning, join live, or catch up through key plays. And then after, um, after it's over, you can actually just watch the key plays. So I watched the key plays um, uh, in the Alabama-Missouri game uh, from yesterday. I watched that just uh, before we started recording here. And of course, you know, you don't see the, the bad stuff from either team, but it's better than watching just either team's highlights, <laughs> you know, because you get to see the, the highlights from both teams, which can make, you know, some bad highlight reels for the opposite team. So anyway, um, Alabama obviously had their way. They, they looked awesome. Uh, Missouri, just from what I had seen, you know, uh, looked like, look, it's, it's a new team with a new coach. And uh, they were playing probably the national champion uh, for this year. And it showed, you know. Um, so I don't know. Have, have, you, have you seen anything from them? Let, let me just look at the stats here real quick. Um, first downs were 22 to 20, Alabama, not bad. Uh, Missouri was 8 of 16 on third downs. Total yards, 414 to 3322. Um, looks like, oh, okay. So mostly a passing team. They only had 69 rush yards. Um, and really, they had two turnovers. So, and they got beat 38 to 19. Alabama, I don't think, covered the spread on that, though. I, I, yeah, Bama was up 35 to 3 midway through the third quarter and and I, I did not see it so I don't know how much of the foot came off the gas uh, or uh, I, I'm not sure about that part of it. Najee Harris uh, obviously is going to be a problem to deal with and then uh, they, they got uh, still got uh, Waddle he's incredible I don't know if you saw that one highlight of him just flying through the air to catch a ball in between two defenders <laughs> That was awesome. He keeps consistently getting behind defenders. Um, so, you know, Alabama is going to be a problem, and it's not necessarily a reflection on um, Missouri. But um, I don't know. You know, I, it seems like uh, we should probably have an advantage uh, in week two. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. It's um... – Again, it's so hard to judge Missouri at a first coach and when the only point of comparison is Alabama. I'll be – good luck with the uh, Statsy preview machine uh, this week on that. But um, I just think, again, this is kind of a taking care of business situation for Tennessee. Tennessee beat that team last year by three, but annihilated them statistically. Uh, I mean, we had a, a fumble inside the 30 late. There was – a blocked kick, maybe two blocked kicks. Missouri scored on a trick. Derek Dooley had a trick play. Missouri scored on. Statistically, Tennessee annihilated Missouri last year. 
we talked about it at the time. It was the beatdown without the beatdown. Uh, and so I'm not expecting that. Uh, but I think it's the same message, right? If you play a clean, if you're Tennessee and you play a clean game uh, and you, you know, just handle the stuff you're supposed to handle, I would expect a, a lesser offense than what Tennessee saw against South Carolina uh, out of this new group. And so um, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, if Tennessee's favored between 10 and a half and 13, you, if you're in that ballpark, if you win this thing by two possessions, that's fine. You know, let's stay healthy, keep getting better, um, all that stuff. Tennessee needs to establish consistency, especially on third down, but it just needs to establish – it needs to have consistency in practice. We need guys to get out there. Uh, so as long as that is able to take place, uh, then, then I think Tennessee should be fine against this team. Again, this is 5.03 Sunday evening, uh, so we, we may have smarter things to say uh, as, as the week go on, goes on about Missouri. But I, that's, that's one to me. If Tennessee handles itself, then Tennessee's going to be fine. We definitely will have uh, more informed opinions as we uh, go through on the on the blog. So uh, several things that are that, that we'll do every week. Um, we'll start with uh, some stat rankings just for Tennessee, and then we'll compare them to uh, Missouri's. Um, I will have a, a Statsy preview on uh, Thursday or Friday as well. Uh, we'll have all the regular stuff. Uh, I don't know, Will, whether you have uh, anything in particular scheduled just yet. Um, no, I, I enjoyed writing uh, part of <laughs> pandemic world and, and uh, being the pastor of a church that has uh, not yet opened its doors in our building on Sunday. Is I, I got a little more time <laughs> on Sundays uh, now since we're just doing it once online. So I really enjoyed just diving into the stuff that I wrote today. Uh, again, there's, I, I keep coming back to it. There's just no precedent for one of 11 on third down and no precedent for winning at, the, at that number. So um, the, the, that is unique and put it out there by itself. But to me, it's just going to suggest Tennessee should be better um, the rest of the way. And I think Garantano was a slightly better or at least a, a, a top percentage of his previous performances, top percentile of his previous performances, uh, better against South Carolina. So uh, that's clean up that third down. I think so much is, is encouraging. We'll keep looking at that stuff this week. Yeah. All right. Before we get out of here, I just want to uh, um, point out to everybody that uh, you should watch thinking out loud uh, <laughs> this week. It's uh, a, an SEC show on Monday nights at seven, uh, SEC network show. I've actually never seen it. Uh, so I don't know if it's any good, but I, I bet it's gonna be really good because uh, old friend uh, Spencer Hall is now a regular feature member on that show. So um, if anybody knows Spencer, you know that uh, you'll want to tune in because he's always entertaining. So um, I got my uh, YouTube TV. Uh, DVR watching that one so all right uh, Will you got freestyle anything you want to add before we get out of here uh, when I was making notes last night during the game the the first thing that I wrote down was Henry Toto is the best linebacker at Tennessee since uh, again no disrespect to Daryl Taylor uh, Daniel Batuli these guys but like I think Toto like he just looks so much like those old Tennessee linebackers. Yeah. 
and we haven't had – I mean, Jalen Reeves-Maven, when he was healthy, that dude was a machine. I think Tooto is already in that conversation. A.J. Johnson has a complicated history playing right now as a, in the NFL with the Denver Broncos, so that really validates his his playing ability. But I, I think Tooto, just watching him play uh, – is, is going to be on a list where you have to go back to the previous, not the last decade, but the one before it, the guys like Gerard Mayo uh, and, and that sort of group, Kevin Burnett, those guys. Uh, that's a bad man, number 11, uh, and I'm glad he's on our team. And it's it's been – look, Tennessee had Derek Barnett, who was incredible. Josh Dobbs, who was a sensational college football quarterback uh, for Tennessee – had Alvin Kamara, who obviously, uh, as it turns out, is sensational. <laughs> um, so it's not that we haven't had anybody good here, uh, but just in particular at that position, the potential, the, the realized potential already, that dude is a captain. He's a sophomore. He's, he's played, that was his 14th game uh, last night. So uh, I like that guy yeah. very much. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't know what the answer to that question is, best linebacker at Tennessee since – but uh, I am very excited to, to find out. He just jumps out at you the way a good player like that is supposed to jump out at you. So that was, that was my first immediate impression from early in that game. And I, I hope we get to talk about that every week because it means Tennessee's going to be really good uh, at that spot this year. Yeah. Toto uh, to is uh, – I just love that dude. Um, super good. So wh- when is the last time we had an All-American at uh, linebacker? Uh, that's a good, I mean, Al Wilson, uh, certainly would have been in that conversation. Uh, I don't know if anybody else like Gerard Mayo was a first round draft pick. Um, I'm going to see if I can cheat and look it up real quick. Uh, uh, but he wasn't an all American, um, Kevin Burnett, uh, 2004. I just became uh, friends with him on Facebook, by the way. You're you're friends with Kevin Burnett on Facebook? I am. Yeah. Yeah, so usual friends. So, uh, 16 years since Tennessee had an All American uh, at linebacker. Uh, and then before him, you get it. Raynock Thompson was All American in 99. So, Al Wilson and Raynock Thompson, actually, three in a row. You had Leonard Little in 97, Al Wilson in 98, and Raynock Thompson in 99, three consecutive All American linebackers. So, with those guys, yeah, it's been a and, and Mayo again, Mayo was a first round draft pick, um, and played a had a terrific career in the NFL with the Patriots. So, yeah. um, I you know, Toto is looks like one of those dudes, uh, and and that's very good. That's very good. You, you know what those guys all have in common? Uh, John Chavis, <laughs> right. that's true. Uh, okay. there's there's uh. Yeah, I mean that was that was Tennessee's defense back then. Is let's find the biggest, fastest guys we can find, and put them in the right general area, and trust that they're going to do bad things when they get there. And and that's exactly what happened uh, with a lot of those guys. So that's again, that's good company to be in. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Please uh, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. Bonus points if you include the secret phrase, thinking out loud. We'll go ahead and just do that one. So, uh, For Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. So you got, you got some activity there.
I know, yeah. It's we always try to make sure it doesn't get in there on the live broadcast at some point, so uh, it's very interesting. You gotta get to church, so uh, oops. I'll, I'll let you know if the Celtics win tonight and then win Tuesday. I'll look at the NBA Finals schedule and figure out when I can do a podcast. Uh, so, uh, but if not, if they lose, Sunday is like seven. Okay. Um, that sounds. Good. Or eight. What does? Yeah, eight. Eight. Because he goes to bed at seven. Yeah. Eight. Uh, eight. It is good. Um, but I'm I'm pretty flexible, and if I am. Uh, not writing that sounds better should have been up here um (laughs) if i'm not writing tonight uh, i may watch the celtics as well and root for grant so and you gotta gotta get gotta get two more so um, are you two two behind or are they yeah we were down three games to one and then they won um friday so now it's three to two so they got to win tonight and then they got to win tuesday if they lose if they lose either one it's over all right. Well, much joy for you this evening. Yes. Thank you. I will, we'll take all that we can get.